Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day and welcome. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you. Two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 24th of February. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you can join us. Let's get to our guests for today's show. Borisotti from Intelligent Investor and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Andrew. Gaurav in the studio. Luke, you're remote. Uh, Nonetheless, lots to consider at the moment. Uh, Luke, reporting season... Ukraine, inflation, what's worrying you most? Oh, definitely reporting season. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fundamental investor. Um, I, I can you know, always look past the noise of, of those other things. So for me, it's always the, the reported financials. And, and um, you know, I've, I've been taking the opportunity to, to, to buy some stocks that I think have reported well and have been swept up in, in some of those macro concerns on, on days like today, especially, um, you know, when the broader market's off and, and, and um, no one wants to buy and, and you feel, you know, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you hit the buy button, it's often the best time to do it. So, um, yeah, focus just purely on, on the numbers and the businesses and how they're performing and um, you'll be you'll be fine as an investor. Right? There's, there's always reasons to be spooked out of the market um, and, and I'm sure in six, nine, 12 months time, we'll have completely forgotten about the Ukraine and, and anything else that's uh, worrying us today. Well, we hope. A uh, bit hard to see or where where that's going at the moment. Uh, Gaurav, mm. what, are you, what are your thoughts? Is it is it reporting season for a mind for you? Um, definitely reporting season. But I think it's interesting that you've got a whole confluence of, of negative events uh, circling around reporting season. You know, everyone's talking about inflation and you've got a war going on and higher interest rates um, and you've still got the pandemic and some people are talking about new variants. I don't remember seeing so many negative, um, uh, negative events all culminating at the same time. And I think that's, that has to mean that there's a lot of pessimism around. I still think valuations um, in some parts of the market are still pretty peaky. But as a whole, I think it's getting a lot more interesting now to, to find ideas. And I haven't dip my toe in too much. I've only bought, bought coal, really. Right. <laughs> but um, but uh, we, we have been uh, looking m- with much more, um, uh, with, with, a, with an eye to upgrade um, and, and looking more carefully than we have um, any time this year, I would say. Yeah, and I guess it's providing buying opportunity too, isn't it? Particularly when you look at what's going on in the States, I think what the S&P and the Dow pretty much 10% down, correction territory. So that's mm. an opportunity. It's not enough, Andrew. Uh, you know, this is not going to be over until... Tesla gets down to a, a meaningful level until mm. crypto cracks, until some of the really silly things we've seen this cycle really start to break down. And the heroes who've been invested in those things are in tears. Uh, unfortunately, I, mean, I don't wish that upon, upon them, but, but that's the way these things go. Um, and uh, I don't think it's going to end until we see those events happen. All right, that's a good reality check. All right, well, let's uh, get into it. In fact, our first uh, five coming up on the show, MedLab Clinical, uh, Smart Parking, G8 Education, Chorus, and Liontown. But first, our stock of the day. Now, we are talking uh, reporting season, so only fitting that we should uh, have a look at one that's just reported. In fact, Gaurav and Luke both choosing this one. La Visa, it is fashion, jewellery and accessories. First half profit there up. 85% 85% with the uh, continued momentum in the first eight weeks of the new reporting period. This uh, riddle with COVID costs and inflation pressures, of course, shareholders, they'll get a uh, interim dividend, almost doubling there to 37 cents a share. And taking a look at the shares today, up some 20%. So, Gaurav, mm. lots to love. Oh, nice one, Andrew. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that one, but it's good. Um, Yes. uh, um, Look, uh, uh, if I had known that Luke doesn't own this stock, 
I would have recommended it earlier. Um, <laughs> I, I thought I thought he owned it as well. Um, I, I certainly owned it. Um, I certainly own it, and we own it in uh, in most of our funds as well. It's been it's been a real interesting ride for Lavisa um, from Intelligent Investor. I, I, we first came across this um, uh, when it was quite early in its in its um, incubation, about three bucks or so, several years ago, and. You know, we've got a, a sage Yoda-like uh, mentor who comes into the office to train us um, every now and again, and he bought it up. And, and uh, I remember looking at it and thinking, this thing is a fraud. There is no way that they are making these numbers. Usually retailers um, have really high inventory turnover or really high margins. They, they do not have both. And here you've got a business making 80% gross margins, flipping inventory sort of five, six, seven times a year. Um, I thought that's not possible. Something is wrong here. Um, but, you know, the, the joke was on me. Um, we watched the, the business double before we decided, look, we've got to go investigate this. And so a bunch of us went out and started visiting stores, which was a really weird experience, having a, a bunch of middle-aged men go into the Visa stores. <laughs> and it gave me a really good insight, though. I think the reason why so many people dismiss La Visa and miss it altogether is that um, the business itself is aimed at sort of 13 to 15-year-old girls. And there's not a lot of those investing or controlling money. And when um, adult men, and it's mostly males in this job, when they look at a business like this, it's very easy to write it off as a fad or as a, as a short-term fashion. Um, and the margins are so extraordinary, you expect these to fall back. Um, but, you know, that's not, that's not happening. This is actually one, this is probably the best retailer I've ever seen, wow. ever. Um, and it, it's, it's that because it's, it's, uh, it's completely vertically integrated. So it designs, manufactures, and sells um, its product and it captures a margin all the way along. And the best thing about it, the reason why no one has been able to effectively compete against it is that every time it makes its sale, it captures that data and it's able to understand what items are selling, where they're selling, um, where the trends are going. And so the, uh, its designers can pump out and, and, uh, and flush out jewelry and stock to stores faster than anyone else. Um, and the larger that store network gets, the better that advantage becomes. So this is a business that I think could be sort of 2,000 stores in a couple of years' time. They've only got um, a, a limited number of stores in the US. I think in US alone, they could have 1,000 plus stores. This is a, a rollout opportunity that's still got a long way to go. I won't necessarily be buying it today. I think it's a, it's a solid hold, but on, on, on pullbacks, this is one that you, can, that you should be looking at um, to get in. Maybe you should have bought yesterday then. Yes, indeed. It could have, bought, could have bought yesterday. If you asked me yesterday, it would have. Yeah, well, that's that, right. Yeah. Given it is up twenty percent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this morning, and in fact, we'll go right further to your point. I, I have daughters of that age, so you know I well. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Do you go I to the store? or Do you wait outside when they go in? Yeah. No, I just I, I <laughs> defer to the wife. Really, uh, I'd prefer not to know. Although mm. I just see the bill at the end of the day, but uh, I know exactly where you're coming from, Luke. <laughs> Um, your kids aren't yet of that age, but I know it's coming for you. So how do you uh, how are you looking at Lavisa? Um, yeah, my kids are still in the Smiggle age. We, we'll get to Lavisa in you know ten years <laughs> yeah. or so. Um, it's look, I will defend myself here, Andrew. When I when I used to work at my old shop running a mid cap portfolio, I owned Lavisa. Um, you know, running a micro cap is just out of my universe. Otherwise, I would I would still love to own it. Um, <laughs> Gorab's lucky. He's nailed it spot on. It's everything about the the operations of the business. It's it's fantastic, and I agree. The metrics are to the point where you, you wonder could this be real, but but obviously it is. We we, we know that now. Um, one quick note, and, and and I was a little bit late to Lavisa, a bit like Gorav, and and um, it's an interesting point he raised about um, managers wondering whether there could be fad elements to this business. And I remember one thing that sort of kept me away from Lavisa for a few years is they actually, I think this is back at FY18, Gaurav, you may remember, um, sort of came out and said they missed a trend. And from memory, it was like leopard print or something mm, was a was, it was a big yes. trend. Mm. And, and they came out and said they sort of missed that. And, and I think that sort of was in the memory of a lot of people for a while. But it's clear that, you know, as, as you've sort of highlighted, all of the, the good aspects of, of management since then and the data they can gather and the insights they have over the industry they're probably past something like that. Um, and, and Gaurav's right, the bigger they get, they get the bigger that moat becomes. Um, looking at the result today, I mean, it, it's stellar. And, and particularly when you put it next to every other retailer who's been out so far in reporting season, all we've heard is COVID disruptions, supply chain issues, wage pressures. And, and this business comes out and, and 
if they didn't comment on them specifically, you wouldn't have known they existed. Um, you know, 21% same-store sales growth, 48% total because they rolled out new stores, maintained their margins, a slight tick up in their operating costs, but again, nothing massive. It sort of went from, from 50% to 518 um, Cash flow was fantastic. Uh, the trading update for the first half of, uh, sorry, the second half of the, the year is, is also fantastic. They've seen that momentum accelerate to, to 61% total sales growth. So, I think Gorab and I have the same problem. At heart, we're value investors, and it's difficult to buy something when it's up 20% on the day. I think if you can take a long enough time frame, you can actually buy it today. Um, and that time frame may be three to five years as that store rollout sort of eats into the valuation that they've got. Um, definitely hold it if you're there. Don't try and don't try and trade this one on, on a good result. You hold it. Um, put it on your watch list. Any dips, you definitely buy it. But but even today, you know, you could maybe make a start on a small position on a long-term view. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think um, over time, we've had a go at um, kind of imagining what this business could look like at full scale, and I can't get a share price under 30 bucks. Mm. Like, depending on how wild you want to be with your assumptions, you can get up to $40, $50 very easily on this, but it takes time. It will take a long time, and you've got to face the execution risk and you have to earn a return on your investment while you wait for all that to happen. So. I actually take Luke's point there. I think if you have a long enough time horizon, you can do well from Lubisa at this point. But I think I can identify better opportunities for my capital today rather than to buy more Lubisa stock. All right. Mm. Nonetheless, though, if you're seeing some dips there, buy it. That is the word from both our experts. All right, that's our stock of the day. Let's get into the ones chosen by you. Our first one off the rank is MedLab Clinical. Uh, it's uh, coming to us from Pat, wanting to know that they progress into phase three trials of Nanibus. Uh, Pat's saying, been a long-term holder, really excited to see where the company takes its delivery platform, Nanocell. They've been granted patents for Nanocell until 2036, New Zealand, Canada, Australia, UK, Europe. Uh, many applications available for partnering with the most recent news that they've received funding to look at a nasal spray for delivery of a COVID vaccine. The largest shareholder is the chief executive, Sean Hall, who holds more than 17% of the shares. That gives Pat some comfort knowing that the CEO and founder has a big investment in the company. Luke, that's always a big tick, isn't it? Yeah, particularly for a business like this. I mean, it's very early stage, it's very high risk. And so you want to see those those key management personnel invested alongside you and, and aligned for, for, for your interests as well as shareholders. Um, it's not one I'd actually um, looked at too closely, I must admit. Um, coming to it, it's always hard for me with these businesses. Uh, they're so early stage and, and the business talks about the um, you know the intellectual value of, of what they've developed being much higher than the market capitalization. And, and you know it, it may be and, and they, they may honestly believe that, but it's it's as market participants, it's it's hard for us to get that insight because you know we're not we're not scientists, we're not biotechnologists to. Mm to know the ins and outs of the actual technology itself. Um, as best as I can tell, you know, it, it, it re reduces active ingredients down to nanoparticles, which is, allows for better absorption of these drugs. I'm not sure if it can only be used for cannabis, but it seems like that's their main focus at the minute, um, you know, using this nanocell technology um, to, to uh, use cannabinoids for, for different purposes. The first one they're doing is for like cancer, pain, looking for depression. They've got some stuff in phase three and you know it's coming through but it's it's early stage and like i said it's not my style of investment the other question mark i had is they had a nutraceuticals business um and, and that was losing nine mil a year and they've now divested it so it's hard for me to see what the cost base and and, and things like that of the business looks like now there's probably enough cash to get them through you know the, the the trials they're currently doing that that's good um but i have no doubt more capital needs to come into this business at some time and for me i, I don't have the confidence to to say i want to be there knowing that that will happen to, to where it wants to go. So, um, look, I don't know enough to say sell to someone like Pat, who clearly knows it better than me. But, um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would hold if you're there. But but otherwise, just maybe put on your watch list if this is a, a space of the market that you're interested in. Okay. Gaurav, yeah, it's fairly niche, isn't it? Um, cannabis, nutraceuticals, perhaps a concern, as Luke said there. Oh, look, Andrew, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what this company does or how to value it or whether to buy it. I have no idea. Um, my question is simply, if you're there, why are you there? What's the investment case? I would say this is a very, this is a business with a completely binary outcome. The tech will work or it won't work. Mm. How do you handicap those odds? How do you have any idea unless you have a PhD in this area? And unless you can answer that question 
with some confidence. I, I, this is not investing. This is just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best kind of stuff. You know, this is this is uh, you can't you can't buy this if you can't answer those questions. In my view, um, I did go through the presentations, and there was another thing I didn't like about it was that um, the business in their presentation called out that they're cash flow positive, and when you go to the cash flow statement. Uh, they include uh, tax rebates and government grants in their cash flow. Once you take that out, they are not cash flow positive. And I think that's quite cheeky. Um, I think convention would be to remove those items and then talk about your cash flow. And that alone, you know, a bit of cheek with your cash flow at, at such an early stage, I would cross that off my list and um, mm. this is a no for me. I, if I had it, I'd sell it. <clears throat> is that, does that apply to most biotech that you look at? I don't look at biotechs, Andrew. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because funny. you yeah. say it is that binary outcome. And, and you have to know something. You know, I've, I've met people who are absolute guns in this area, who know exactly what they're doing. They have specialist expertise. They know industry figures. They know where the market's going. I don't want to be competing against those guys. And no one should be wanting, wanting to compete against those guys. Unless you really know what you're doing. Um, and this isn't a game. Uh, you know, this is, this is serious business. This is, if you, you mean, I find it hilarious how people will drive 20 kilometers to save four cents on petrol, yet they'll put $10,000 in a company they know nothing about and don't understand the tech. You know, if, I, I can't understand that. Um, if, you, if you can't understand the tech behind it, and I don't, um, yeah. I just will not, will not put money in it and will not look at it. But I will caution that being cheeky on your cash flow is a big red flag for me. And management that you cannot trust, that is not completely transparent and open with how they're performing, if, you know, I, I wouldn't invest alongside those people. All right, that is MedLab. Our second one, smart parking. Uh, should let you know it is in the portfolio at the moment. It designs, develops, manages parking technology systems. Uh, it's rolled out in 17 countries. Luke, I'm gonna ask you f for your opinion first. Phil actually directing this question at you, saying since um, you've got a small position, um, everything seems to be looking good, he's saying in the latest report. Is there anything to be wary about? Would it be worth topping up? since it hasn't gone anywhere really in the past six months. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I do ha have a small position. Um, I actually trimmed a little bit, and I'll, I'll get into the reasons why, but I, I did hold a little bit into the results, and um, the results were, were pretty good, Phil, to be honest. I mean, um, they, they came out and, and, and beat their guidance, both at, at revenue and an EBITDA level, um, and good cash flow conversion to that EBITDA, which I always like to see. Um, the business is growing strongly. For, for those who don't know, it's sort of like a... Um, you know, it's like a, a parking officer. Basically, they issue um, parking notices to on behalf of private car parks. Um, about 770 sites under management, looking to take that to 1,500. So, looking to double the business over the next few years, expand geographically. The reason why I took some off the table was they're primarily based in the UK right now, and the UK government's actually come out and put some legislation around private parking notices and essentially the the, the industry where smart parking is, and it's it's going to be an impact to, to smart parking Now, management in this report didn't want to quantify the impact too much um and i understand why there's some moving parts to, to the legislation but in effect the the the, the parking breach notice the, the the maximum you can issue has gone from 100 pounds to 50 pounds through the most of most of the uk um you know some areas of london and and some other types of breaches remain but but that's the main crux of it is essentially revenue could be cut in half by by this legislation change so for me i when i when i found that out that was only a couple of weeks ago i, I took some off coming into this report the changes won't come in for a few years um you know literally the start of 2024 so there's a fair chance the business can really fill that earnings hole over the next couple of years by expanding into Australia, New Zealand and, and looking to go into Germany. I like the management team. I, I like, you know, the business. Regulatory concerns, I think, will always weigh on the valuation. Um, like I said, I still I still own a small parcel. I did take some off coming into the result just based on that, that you know, regulatory risk, which I, I saw coming. Um, but other than that, look, would, would I buy some more today? I haven't. So I, I would say it's a hold for the purpose of the program. I've still got a small position. It's one where if that price pulled back or if I saw some good execution in some other geographies, I could definitely see myself buying some. But for now, just just hold it, Phil, and just um, just be aware of that UK legislation change. It's probably a bit more of an impact than what management's originally let on. All right. Where are you going forward, Gaurav? Your thoughts? Mm. It's not a business I know um, at all. Um, I think I've heard Luke speak about it once or twice before, but I've never actually had a really good look at it. And I still haven't had a really good look at it, mind you. But um, from, a quick, from a quick glance, it actually looks quite interesting. You know, 70 million market cap, 
as Luke says, um, they've got sort of 700 sites under management, and those sites have grown um, pretty strongly and pretty regularly. And the plan is to get to 1,500, and if they can do that, then the profit metrics should start to look quite good. I mean, they already look quite good. The, um, the actual profitability here is, is pretty impressive for what is a smallish company. You're talking about gross margins of, um, of 70%. You know, this, that's pretty good. Um, decent EBITDA margins, uh, no debt. Um, my questions would just be about, about the regulation, um, the scalability as well. I'm not sure what happens to costs um, as you start um, ripping up in terms of sites managed. The, the cost looks really weird, and maybe Luke has some more insight into this, but Luke, the, 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 the cost actually looks like they've dramatically fallen over the last uh, year or two, and I don't know whether that's, that's a one-off thing or whether that's, a, that's a, a rebasing of the cost and whether that's um, sustainable going forward. But I, I, I do wonder how much of that margin is related to the low cost and, and how sustainable that is. So that's another question I have. But I would absolutely continue holding this. It's, it's quite an interesting business. Um, uh, I just don't know enough about it to, to, to issue a buy. Um, and uh, the, the regular, regulatory concerns that mm. Luke raises, I would be very interested to know more about them because they sound worrying. Luke, do you have an answer just as far as those costs, the questions that... Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like a lot of businesses, they rebased the cost base through COVID. They were, they were you know, heavily impacted. Um, and it's, it's one of those things I think you've seen, in, again, in a lot of businesses where when you take some of those costs out, um, you realise that the operations of the business operate you know, quite well on a, on a reduced cost base. Now, I think mm. Gorab's right. You know, it won't it won't scale up. Um, you know, sort of sort of pure tech business. There's obviously they'll be scaling with that. But I, I'd expect if they get to 1,500 sites, I'd expect margins to to, to grow as well um, at both gross and, and mm. EBITDA level. Okay. All right. Let's move on. G8 Education. Uh, Talia wanted to know about this one. It is Australia's largest private operator of childcare centres. Uh, second half. They're reporting. Uh, heavily impacted by COVID. No surprise there, given what happened to childcare centres across the country, also the isolation requirements involved there. Gorev, G8. G8, right. Um, where to begin? Andrew, the, the most important question when looking for a business is um, what problem is it solving? You know, why does it exist? Um, and if you need to have a a attractive sensible answer to that question and for G8 I think that's what's lacking here this is a business that its sole purpose is take to take advantage of the arbitrage available between public and private markets and what, what by that what I mean is they raise uh, money in uh, you know from investors um, and uh, and they buy privately owned daycare centers at uh, two three four times operating profit and then once that, that profit is rolled into their, their own metrics, um, you know, you can get probably 10, 12, uh, 12 times earnings. So the, they may have paid sort of $10 million for something trading on four times. And that $10 million of profit, uh, that $10 million of value, once it's rolled into G8's um, accounts, it will be worth, you know, um, uh, $30 million um, if GH trading on sort of 12 times. Mm. And that's how they create value. To me, that's not creating value. That's financial engineering. Um, I actually don't think these guys do anything of substantive value. Um, they don't own a single brand. They don't, um, you know, they're not trying to build uh, a big network of G8 branded education centers where they can scale the marketing costs. Um, they, they can't really share resources because regulations dictate how many, how much staff and, uh, and, uh, and cleaners that, that you need in these places. Um, there's probably some saving in head office costs, but it would be pretty small in the scheme of things. And I think this is actually just a really bad idea as a business. Um, it hasn't worked for a long time. Um, and it, it only exists to, to, to give employment and salaries to the people running it. Um, and, and, and if I can put another nail in that coffin, um, you know, I looked at the presentation to prepare for this and I was just disgusted, Andrew. The, um, you know, in one slide, they've got a big, a big slide saying operating cash flow, $80 million or whatever it was. And then, <laughs> but in that number, they don't include their lease liabilities, you know, their lease costs, which are the single biggest expense. And if you take, you know, in brackets, in tiny little brackets, they've got, oh, including lease costs, it's only $10 million or something. You know, I mean, once again, I mean, if you're investing alongside a management team, you're putting your trust and faith in them to some degree, and if you can't trust them, if they're doing gimmicks like this, 
you just, I would not buy this at any price. And I have a big fat sell on it and avoid, and to the management, it's just really poor behavior as well. That's a big finger <laughs> yeah. to management, I would have thought, goodness, um, Gaurav. I'm in a cr- cranky mood today, eh? Yeah. <laughs> no, <but this laughs> must must be the rain. Yeah, no, no, that, and I haven't heard yeah. that before, just mm. particularly when you talk about that arbitrage, that, that's fascinating. Um, Luke, so I'm interested in what you're gonna say. Yeah, it's why I love coming on with Gaurav because my thoughts are the same. I, I probably just, you know, don't go as far as he does in, in, in you know, really putting them out there. Um, I agree. I saw that exact same slide he was talking about. And my right. first thought was they've asked the lawyers, you know, what's the minimum font size we can have next to this number? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you've got to get a lawyer to sign off. Actually, yeah, lease costs are included in, in your operating expenses. Um, yeah, that's that's AASB 16 is the worst accounting change that's ever been brought in. Agreed with that. Um, yeah. I, I agree with everything Gaurav just said. And I highlighted the exact same thing. And I actually just add one more point to that private to public arbitrage is they've become too big for it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, $1.1 billion. These guys need to acquire large, large groups of centres to move the needle. Um, so you're looking at just a, a very stable business. I agree with Gaurav. Um, as, as an operating business where you're not getting scale over a central brand or or, um, or marketing or, or all the other things that you can get scale over as you, as you grow bigger, um, it's, it's sort of hard to come up with a, a real good reason to own it. Um, you're not getting a fantastic yield, even if you sort of normalise earnings back to, to 2019 pre-COVID. I think the yield's only sort of like three, three odd percent. Um, so for me, yeah, look... I, I would, I would actually say hold if you're there because I think it is a very defensive business. I, I think that's why people would own it. You know, in, in a market like this, it will hold up. It will give you that defensiveness. Um, but I could never I could never buy it. Um, but, but hold it if you're that sort of investor. And, and to be honest, um, you know, if you're someone who's looking to grow your capital and, and, and look for other opportunities, I'd agree with Gaurav. You'd sell and look for, other, um, look for, look for some of those other stocks. Um, only hold if you're uber defensive and, and looking to, to preserve capital. I've actually got kids in uh, in daycare, well, one child now in, in daycare, and um, I'm amazed that the parents in my area, all of them, they know which centres are for profit mm. and which centres are not for profit, and there's a big difference between how those centres are treated um, from the parent community. I mean, just go into North Shore Mums and they'll tell you all yeah, the, centre, the good I've ones and the bad there. ones. I know what you're saying. Um, and this is the problem. You're competing with a whole host of not-for-profits at, at, the, <clears throat> uh, at one end. Yep. And at the other end, there are some really savvy operators in this industry. Uh, there's a business called Only About Children run by a bunch of ex-Macquarie bankers. That thing is sharp. If that thing ever lists... That might be a bit more interesting, but um, but you know, I, I just think this is a very very difficult bit like wine. You know, you're yeah, competing with guys who are doing it for no money, doing it as a hobby, and and this as well. You just it's a very tough business. Yeah, it grates as a parent. It does, you're talking about it? The, our most yeah. precious resource yeah. and trying to make a profit from it. Yeah, that's what grates. All right, gee whiz, that was GAD education. Okay, let's move on to Chorus. John wanted to know about this provider of uh, telco <coughs> infrastructure throughout New Zealand. Uh, just handed down some solid results, upgraded its guidance. Market like that, plus plans to return 150 million New Zealand dollars to shareholders via a share buyback. Uh, Luke, Chorus, thoughts? Yeah, look, I never looked at Chorus and, and I thought when I opened up the, the, the result, I'd be looking at New Zealand's Telstra and I quickly realized I was looking more at New Zealand's Unity Wireless. I mean, this is a, uh, it's a growing business, um, all based around the rollout of fibre and then um, getting people onto that onto that fibre. Um, it's not my style of business, and the reason why I quickly got down to the slide in the presentation about um, you know the, the the regulated revenue they're able to extract, and and that's always where I sort of stop. And it goes back um, G8 just before has that same problem. I'm never a fan of, of businesses where you're, you're you know you're regulated in what you can do. Um, but for the right investor, and I'm talking more again about defensive investors and dividend investors, you can definitely buy this today. You're getting an unfranked dividend, obviously, because it's, it's based over there in New Zealand, but it's a 5% yield on, on today's price. Um, and, and, you know, because it is that utility, they've got a very good visibility on, on forward guidance. And they've given dividend guidance out to FY24, which goes to 7% on today's price. So, you know, you've got, you know, you've got growing dividends over the next few years. Um, very stable business. They're just slowly converting more of that population to fibre. 
even within that, converting more of their customers to their high-speed fiber, which is, is higher margin as well. So I saw a lot of things to like. Uh, you know, it's not again, it's not my style of business. I'm a micro-cap investor, and I want to find you know, businesses that can really grow and become much, much larger into the future. But for the right type of investor, I think you can definitely buy Chorus today if, if you're looking for that uh, income and, and defensiveness. Okay, Gaurav? Yeah, one of the things you really want to look for when you're when you're buying something is is a dislocation. You're trying to look for a situation where um, the market may not understand something, may have some misread something, made a mistake with the analysis. Uh, somewhere where you have an edge and the market's got something wrong. And Chorus actually provided that opportunity a few years ago because Chorus used to be a traditional, well, it was a lightly regulated telco and it made a transition to being a, a full, full, fully regulated utility business. And it did that because Chorus was charged with building the ultra-fast um, fiber network in, in New Zealand, which is their equivalent of the NBN. So mm. they actually built their NBN. And as in so many other things, New Zealand just does it so much better when it comes to regulation and government services. Um, they actually uh, created Chorus for the sole purpose of, of building and housing um, their fiber network. Um, and while they were doing that, um, there was a lot of cash going out the door, so the numbers actually looked really bad. But what they were doing is, is the regulation is, is what's known as a building block regulation, so every dollar they spend um, gets collated, and at the end of the build, um, all, all their spending costs, including their capitalized interests and, and all, the, uh, all the forecast OPEX um, that's gonna go into running that network, that gets collected together, and the regulator then decides a rate of return that they can earn on that. Um, so we sort of thought, well, all this money they're spending, it looks bad in the accounts today, but it will actually be the basis of future returns. And I think the market's now understood that. Um, the New Zealand regulator has now come out and given um, a firm guidance about what the regulated asset base is, what mm. the rate of return is, and that's why Chorus can now finally start issuing um, dividend guidance because they have those key unknowns that the market didn't have and so had mispriced this asset. And you'll see from the chart there, it was trading at three or four dollars, which was ridiculous because I think this is worth about eight bucks a share. Wow, okay. Um, uh, and, and I think you'll, I mean, Luke's right, you'll, you'll start to see a lot more um, a lot more free cash flow coming here because the mm. capex on the fiber build is declining very swiftly and the revenues they're getting from fiber customers are now starting to take off. Um, there's of course a cap on how much revenue they can earn, but it's gener generous enough to fund that 7-8% dividend yield. So I think um, this is a buy for me, for yep. income investors in particular. Um, and I think you'll find that, uh, that the share price kind of gently drifts up to um, normalize that yield to down about 5% or so. All right, that's a double buy. Mm. That, uh, well, pending, of course, but uh, potentially to go into the portfolio. All right, let's uh, move on to our fifth. Uh, we're going to talk lithium, Liontown. Uh, it is in the portfolio. Uh, of course, the big news recently that it ended into a binding uh, lithium supply agreement with Tesla. So Soprata wanted to know this, uh, getting some feedback, uh, bought this as the most favorite sector at the moment with EV, the stock looking to downtrend, even though they recently got into that deal with both LG, in fact, and Tesla. Gaurav, Liontown, um, but, or let's, why don't we just quickly start with where you see lithium stocks at the moment? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Andrew, I, I got into it. The reason I got into investing was because I found that this was the only profession in the world that I could find where you're rewarded for being the contrarian. You know, if, if you can come up with a unique insight or do something differently to everyone else, mm. it's one of the few parts of life where you can actually be rewarded for that. You know, think of most corporate jobs or, or most activities even. You know, you're, you're sort of funneled in, into conformity and you're rewarded for, for how well you can conform. And investing is the opposite. You know, you're rewarded often for how how how, um, how smart your contrarian ideas can yeah. be. And because that's kind of my mo in investing, I find it extremely difficult to get excited about lithium. This would have to be the hottest sector on the market at the moment. Now, I'm on record as saying I think there's an ESG bubble going on, and commensurate to that, there's a there's a sin stock sale going on. I think these energy stocks, coal stocks, gambling. Um, and, and to some extent liquor stocks are all attractive and uh, I've been filling my boots, we've been buying them in the fund. These sort of companies for me, I would, I'd be very, very cautious about this sector. I know the fundamentals look good, I know the forecasts look very rosy. I've been covering commodity stocks for a long time and the forecasts always look rosy until they don't. 
You know, every boom is built on an element of truth. Um, no one is lying when they say lithium isn't going to take off. Mm. But these things, have, the market works. You know, when, when demand and prices are high, that is the solution to its own problem. Um, so I'm very, very cautious of lithium. I'm happy to be wrong about it, but it's just not my style. Now, having said all that, um, I expected Liontown. I'm aware of Liontown, of course. It's been a really big story. It's a $3 billion developer, essentially. Um, I thought this was going to be a meme stock when I looked at it. I was ready to, to throw the book at it. But look, mm. I have to admit, I was very impressed with the actual Kathleen Valley project. I did not expect to see a real project here. And it is a good one. It's big. Yeah. I, did not, I was not aware of how big it is. Grades are good. The people behind it are serious. I did not know that either. Um, the fellow, I used to be a shareholder in the company called Chalice Mining, mm. and that's gone on to do huge things. And I sold out well before it had done those things, but they've been a very good shareholder friendly business. And um, the founder of that is the founder and chairman of Liontown, and, and I like the management there. I find it, you know, everything, every box is ticked here. They've got, they've got a, a, an offtake agreement, which you need. They've, they've got the right ambition. They want to go and build a processing facility and, and go up and go, um, and go downstream, which is the right thing to do in this business. Mm -hmm. I, I just think a lot of that has been captured in the price. It's a $3 billion business. They've got a long way to go. I would actually keep this on my watch list. Um, you know, this is a lithium stock you can own, I think, but they've got a long way to go. I'd probably sell it today um, and uh, you can come back to it um, yep. if this thing falls over again. All right, Luke? Yeah, I agree with almost all of that. Um, for me, you know, you look at their presentations. The the Kathleen Valley deposit um, has a net present value of four point two billion, and as as Gaurav points out, you're paying over three billion today for that. And there's just a, a long, you know, a long period of time before it not only gets up to production but uh, the end of life um, for the mine. So. The key input to that, though, is that that, that DFS assumes lithium prices around 1400 mm. and I think the last spot's more than double that. So, you know, is the market being rational or irrational? It, it depends. And I agree with Gaurav. I mean, it, 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 always, it always looks like it's, it's the truth until it's not. And, and, and that kernel of truth in every bubble or whatever is, is a great line, Gaurav, because it's the same here. I mean, I have no doubt electric vehicles will, will take off, but you know, to, to to guarantee certain winners, be that commodities, suppliers, producers, manufacturers, it's it's so hard to it's so hard to tell. I, I think everything about this business is is good. The deposit, the people, the plan, it all looks fantastic. It's just you come back to that valuation. You you're pricing all of that upfront today, which I struggle to do as an investor. So um, look, I would I would probably hold it if you if you're there. It, it, I agree with Gaurab though, you put this one on your watch list because it is real, it is genuine. It's not just a, an explorer who's found a bit of lithium in the corner of their tenement. This is this is genuine. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a long way to go before it you know, starts returning capital to shareholders or, or producing meaningful profits. All right, okay. That's our first five. Let's do a summarize where we've been. Uh, we started with stock of the day, LaVisa. And uh, dare I say it, a lot of love for it. Um, Gaurav saying the best retailer he's ever seen uh, and a much greater expansion expected to come there. Luke, uh, he owned it. Uh, he was worried about the fat elements of it, but uh, uh, he's saying much the same as Gaurav, looking for a dip in which to buy. It's up 20% this morning. Um, our first one picked by you, MedLab Clinical. Uh, Gora is saying, um, look, he's wary of biotech's uh, binary outcome there, essentially. Uh, and Luke, uh, also a little wary, not his style. He's got a hold on it. Uh, secondly, to smart parking. Uh, Luke, he holds it, but he has trimmed it recently um, because he worried about this regulatory crackdown in the UK where it's got most of its business. Um, and uh, Gaurav saying it's got an ambitious expansion program here. Gross margins look great at 70%. G8 Education, goodness gracious, if you missed this one, take another look. Uh, worth rewinding the tape. <laughs> it's uh, Gaurav. Um, where do I start, Gaurav? It's uh, basically talking about that arbitrage between public and private uh, childcare education uh, places there uh, doesn't do anything of substantial value. That's just one quote from Gorev. A bad idea. Appalled by the presentation. Not transparent. He's got a big fat sell on it. And Luke, well, he's a little, a little more generous. He's got a hold. Uh, 
because it's a defensive business essentially. Chorus in New Zealand, uh, telco there, a growing business says Luke. Uh, he's got a buy on it, uh, also a buy there from Gorev, uh, given that uh, this free cash flow looking really good. And finally, just their Lion Town in the lithium space. Uh, although Gorev says it's pretty difficult to get excited about lithium given it's where it's been about that so-called ESG bubble. He's impressed with its Kathleen project. He's got a watch on it, although he'd probably sell it at the moment. Uh, Luke saying he'd probably hold it. A good business, but questions the valuation. All right. Gee, that was varied, wasn't it? Uh, all right. Now, here at the call, we've got our own portfolio we've been tracking since July 1st, 2020. Let's take a look how we're going. Weekly, we're down 2.6%, uh, not surprising given what the overall market's doing at the moment. On the month, 4.7% lower. And year to date, since the 1st of July 21, up 0.7 of a percent since its inception, up 35%. And next week, we'll be launching our new portfolio, a live fund with a much smaller basket of stocks, uh, still using your requests and our experts' buy, hold, and sell recommendation from the call as the first filter there. But now we're introducing an investment committee which will meet monthly. That committee will decide whether to add or remove stocks from the fund, including changing the weightings. And the point of that is to give you more insight into how our experts think about portfolio construction. So each month there'll be an extra edition of the call where we'll take you inside the committee's meeting and see how that fund is tweaked. If the committee needs more information to make a decision, we'll bring the CEOs, uh, bring in the CEOs of portfolio companies to answer their questions. So keep sending your requests and the current portfolio will stay as is until the end of February and then we unveil the new initial fund at March 1st. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, let's get into it. Cydev and its uh, supply of process control, professional services, equipment, design and construction and chemistry, both in Australia and the US. Phil wanted to know, uh, can I get the expert's opinion? Their latest report was disappointing, even though it was expected. Their costs have been increasing quicker than revenue, meaning they're recording a net loss now. To top it off, they gave news of not being able to win the Canadian oil sands tender. Is there any upside from here? Gorev. I've never heard of this business. No, before. likewise. Um, and I had had a bit of trouble deciphering exactly what this company does. They're not super clear in presentations. Um, you know, sometimes when you get a bunch of engineers together, they're not all that market savvy. And it's not the first engineering business that has been hard to decipher. It's not necessarily a red flag, but the accounts are, are mixed here. I don't quite, there's a, there's a few funny things happening here. Um, first of all, we should note that the numbers are just really bad. Um, worse than I expected. I think before we even start looking at accounts, you want to have some expectation about what you're thinking about seeing when you when you look at accounts. And, and here, that was far worse than I had expected. Margins are terrible. It's unprofitable. Gross margins have halved over the last few years. There's no operating cash flow. This is very strange for a services type business. This is not some tech business that's scaling up. You know, they, generally these businesses are contract based. Um, they make a margin on, on work and labor. And so you should be making money on, on the contracts you have. Now, there could be some accounting thing here. Maybe there's contract accounting happening or something I don't understand. It's possible. Um, it looks like they've made acquisitions. There's some goodwill sitting on balance sheet. Um, and the other thing I've noticed that there's a big pool of property or, or plant and equipment, mm -hmm. uh, $6 billion worth, which is a fair whack for what I thought was a services business. So I don't know whether they've bought a manufacturing business as well. And maybe that's why the profits... Uh, the gross margins have slid because they're manufacturing something. I couldn't really get a handle of what these guys do, but the, the accounts look terrible. Um, if you're going to buy this, you better have uh, some specialist knowledge about it or, or understand something that I don't see. Because on a quick glance, I would have just um, skipped over this and I, I would avoid it. I, I can't see any reason to buy All this. All right, that's a big avoid. Luke? Yeah, it's one I've followed on and off for a while. And it's funny that Gaurav said before about ESG being in a bubble because I agree with that. Um, and, and I actually think this is sort of a clean tech business. You know, it's it's 
not really tech, but it's in that ESG space and it, it has solutions to try and solve issues around industrial waste and, 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 and water quality and things like that. Um, so it, it first sort of took off like 2018 and, and share price went from $0.05 cents to, to $0.90 cents and um, all on the back of you've got some interesting technology around um, you know, water purification. Um, I agree with Gaurav. It's actually very difficult to understand the exact you know, uh, machinations of how it works, but uh, they talk about something separating solids and liquids in the water. Um, the exact chemistry of that you know, obviously eludes us and it's not explained very well. But nonetheless, they did something similar to what a few other businesses have come to the market and done. The one that actually springs to mind most obviously is that Calyx business, mm. where you have an, you know, maybe an innovative tech, it's, it's hard to say, but you've got a solution and you think you can take that solution to all these different verticals. And all these different verticals, if you add them all up, you know, large addressable market, large addressable market, and, and you know, everything added up, we've got a huge addressable market in front of us. Mm. Um, and I think this business is probably three years ahead of where Calyx is today, um, which is maybe a bit ominous for, for Calyx into the future, where the path to commercialization is just very, very difficult. And even if your solution is innovative and has benefits over competitors, um, there's a lot of reasons why those industrial customers may just stick with the processes they've got, especially if they have to change what they're doing at the front end to try and fix problems at the back end. They'll probably just stick with the status quo. And that was one of the issues they had when they called that Canadian oil sands tender. That was a large tender that they were hoping to win. And the, um, the company they were tendering to ended up going with the competitor they were already using, despite saying they thought Sidev's solution was likely better. It was just easier for them to, to stick with the competitor and stick with the processes they had. Yeah. So it's one of those businesses, um, Phil, who wrote it in, they raised capital back in November. So I don't think you've got that overhanging the share price. That said, it, I thought it was a very poor result. I, I really did. I, I thought you know, some revenue growth there, but some of that was acquisition driven. I thought the cost blowout was more than what they'd flagged in the past. I actually think you can probably sell this and come back to it um, yep. if you wanted to. And I would wait to see some execution. And there's a few businesses like this, and I agree with Gaurav, that have been bubbled up in this ESG clean theme. The market at some point needs to see commercial execution. So, so wait on the sidelines until you start to see that, until you see not just revenue coming in, but as Gaurav said, these should be high margin products. If you've got genuine IP and genuine innovation, you should see that come through in the margins. So. Um, I, I would actually sell Sidev and, and put it on your watch list if you're interested in the space and the technology. Okay. All right. That's Sidev. Now, we're running out of time, so we better start uh, lifting the pace here. Macquarie Telecom, mm. uh, it's in the portfolio, Cloud Data Center Government Cybersecurity, has partnered with Australian satellite communications provider Black Tree Technology to deliver a defense-ready data co-location uh, co service. Uh, all right. Luke, Macquarie Telecom? Um, I'll, I'll be quick. It's a buy. I'll, I'll be quick because I know Gaurav will spend 15 minutes on this one, Andrew. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably second behind LaVissa as his favourite stock. Right. Um, they, reported, they reported the other day it was exactly what you expect from this business. Um, you know, revenue was up slightly, but the, the mix of that revenue where their core telecom business is, is you know, slowly just, you know, winding backwards. It's a, it's a, it's a low growth declining business. They, they extract good cash flow from that, invest it all into cloud and data centres and, and the margins of those businesses, the economics of those businesses are really starting to shine through. Um, I still think it's a buy. I know Gorab's got an ambitious target on this one, but um, you know, on my rough numbers, you're talking about 32 million on, on steady state free cash flow. That's taking management at their, at their value about what they say maintenance capex versus growth capex. It's a management team. I will give them that trust to, to, to make mm -hmm. that calculation. I think it's about 15 times EBITDA. Even if you said to me, look, that telecom business is low growth, let's ignore it. It's about 20 times the data center's cloud business. It's it's lumpy, it's volatile because of the liquidity. David Tudorhope owns so much of it. It's still a buy though. Okay, all right, Gaurav. Yeah, apologies. I'll try and be quick on this yeah. one, but, but Luke knows me too well. Um, yeah, I, I do love this business. I own it myself, have for years. I wouldn't sell it for years. This is one of those stocks you can buy and, um, and hold for a long time because the business itself is outstanding. But more importantly, just the people running it are outstanding. You know, these are these are individuals who I trust, um, who have a long track record of doing the right things um, for for customers and for for shareholders. And I really feel as though I'm investing alongside this team, not just um, you know trying to make a quick buck um, from what they're doing. Um, it, it's a, it's the, the data center business is the core of this, and that's growing um, hugely. They're mm. in a, a pretty capital intensive capital intensive phase at the moment, so the numbers aren't 
all that clean, but uh, this is this is going to make more than $100 million uh, just from data centers over the next few years. And uh, a lot of that will start, that, that will actually um, ramp up as they add services to their to their data center um, business. So I, I think I, I think this is a buy as well, and one that you can hold for a long time. All right, big fat buy on Macquarie Telecom. Mac Technologies, Mac 7 Technologies, I should say, Tash wanting to know about this. is medical imaging technology, uh, generating around 13 and a half million of annual recurring revenue earned from its live annual support contracts and subscriptions, score app. Um, look, I don't know much about this business. Um, it, it looks like it, it looks quite interesting. It looks like it solves a real problem, um, some really interesting tech. They're earning genuine revenue, um, and it looks like they have a place in this imaging ecosystem. The, the platform looks like it, it actually uh, solves a proper problem, and that's, that passes the first test of business. Mm. Um, I don't know that much about management, but so far the record looks okay. Um, look, uh, I, I, if it looks expensive is, is my main problem. It's you're doing 16 minute, million of ARR or so. Uh, it's, it's growing quickly, but you know, in this sort of market, do you really want to hold something sort of 10, 12 times ARR? I don't, don't know. If you have high conviction, you can hold it. I think holding is, is perfectly fine. It looks like this is an interesting company, but you really want to have a good understanding of, of, of why you're in this. And, and I don't think it's too hard to conjure up a good reason to hold, hold it. So I'll, I'll go with hold. Okay, a hold, Luke. I agree. Um, I, I think exactly um, Gaurav's point, there's a, there's a real product. Um, it, it's carving out a, a good niche in that um, sort of imaging industry where it is. It's, it's like a mini ProMedicus is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I actually think it's a good case study, though, in, in, in different metrics of a business and, and, and how to analyze them as someone looking in a mm, stock. So these guys provide contracted ARR, which means they've won a contract with a hospital to roll out their imaging solution. Um, and so the, the total value of that ARR, which will come on, but there's a long implementation cycle, which means actual annualized recurring revenue then lags that. And then because of the implementation, you get these really lumpy cash flows. And if you go and look at the first quarter result versus the second quarter result this year, you see that first quarter was a negative two, second quarter plus three. So analyzing max seven on any one result, it, it's it's lumpy. It's, you know, you've got these different numbers of, of um, contracted ARR versus actual ARR. Put all of that to the side, I agree with Gaurav. I think you've got a good product, a good runway. They've got plenty of cash in the bank to get them there. The valuation is steep, so I wouldn't buy it, but I think you've got the visibility to hold it for the next, you know, particularly three to five years. I think you'll do well on a stock like this um, with some volatility in the short term. Okay, that is Max 7 Technologies. Let's move on to American Rare Earths. Anthony wanted to know about this. He said he came across it. Um, it is actually headquartered in Sydney, but obviously given the name, we know where it is. Uh, looking to be the next rare earths for America, particularly in Arizona and Wyoming. They have an investment also in Cobalt Blue in Broken Hill, looking at drilling in the coming weeks. Uh, he said it has a decent pop in early January, but since come back, Luke. Yeah, this is really, really early stage. Like, you know, you're basically going on some, some very early drilling results. Mm. Um, they're playing very heavily into the US versus China rare earths and, and US wanting to secure the supply of that to the point where you almost expect to see a bald eagle in the logo. Like, you know, it's in the name and, and everything. It's, 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 it's America through and through. Um, it's, it's hard for me to provide much value on this, Andrew. What I did find interesting, I must admit, is they've got some tie-ins with the US government around that sort of security of, of the, the rare earths. They did a direct placement to Fidelity over in the US for, for you know, uh, in their in their placement limit. So rather than having to do a placement through a broker here that goes to, you know, who knows, you've, you've found a fund who is willing to invest directly into the business. So there's probably something there. Um, if you've done a bit more work than me and you're, and you're confident on the outlook of rare earths and, and America's place in that, I think you can probably hold this. But I, you know, on, on, a, on a half hour look for me this morning, it was, it was too hard. It's, it's very, very early stage. Okay, Gaurav? Yeah, very early stage. I yep. would say this is not even a mine yet. They've got a lot of work to do to prove up their mine. And then, but they're, they're ambitious. Jeez, they want, then they've got this partnership where they, they've got, they want to, They've got this idea of a new extraction technique. So rare earths is awful to extract from, uh, to, to process. It's dirty, it's dangerous, and it's polluting. And, um, and they've got a single phase extraction technique that they're, um, that they're developing with a university. So they want to find a deposit, use a brand new extraction technique, um, uh, and they want to do it all with three million bucks of, of cash in the bank. Mm. And um, it's not going to happen. This is very early stage. Look, they say they're the biggest rare earth project in America. That's not saying much. The only other rare earth project in America is Mountain Pass, which has been exhausted and bankrupt three or four times. 
I think what that tells you is that getting the processing done in the US is really, really hard. Um, it took Linus 10 years to crack processing. This is an avoid for me. They're just way too early. Yeah, um, it's certainly ambitious, <clears throat> but of course it comes down whether it can execute. All right, finally, let's get to Hub24. Gabby wanted to know about this. It is in the portfolio, an impressive result. Uh, just uh, handed down, uh, it is wealth management, of course, record net inflows, recent acquisition of class, uh, looking to change, uh, uh, the, uh, will lead the change in the wealth industry. Gaurav? I have been cheering along Hub and Net24 and Premium for years mm. because the most rapacious sector, I think, in Australian finance are these platforms who charge obscene fees for listing funds, for doing nothing, over-owning. They've been awful. And you know the names, AMP, IOOF, all these basket cases now, they were built on over-profits, overcharging, and um, and overly generous margins for years. And I'm thrilled to see the success of Hub24 and net, and net Wealth and Premium tear down those margins, open up to competition and bring prices down. So I, I love these businesses. They're actually scaling really well. I don't understand why they bought uh, class. I think uh, for me, that would have been my signal to sell. So I would have missed out on, 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 the, uh, on the gains. It still looks to me as though the margins are too high here. I expect uh, more competition between Net Wealth and Hub24. I would buy Net Wealth. I think it's a better run business. And I, you don't have that wake up one morning and own a business you never thought you were going to own risk with Net Wealth, mm. which turned out you had with Hub24 when they bought class. Yeah. Um, look, I, I would hold this. I, I think okay. it's got a future. It's a, it's a decent quality business. Result was outstanding. Um, but I, I would expect margins to be crunched and I prefer the management at NetWealth. Well, that's interesting. Mm. Luke, do you agree then? Is it, is it your pick of that, of that bunch? Uh, I prefer net wealth as well. Um, right. I must admit, though, Hub has performed better than I expected. I, I've sort of been waiting for Hub to blow up a little bit. I, I think they've made a few acquisitions. The class one only recently, so let's wait to see how that integrates. But I was familiar with Explore when they when they purchased that and, and the Explore platform. Um, and, and that's a platform that I, I think needed a lot of investment um, to bring it up to Hub's quality. But you know, you're now a couple of results into the into the Explore acquisition, and and you haven't seen that yet. Um, so. You know, Hub's management, credit to them. Maybe they've, they've got through any sort of teething issues with, with that. Um, I, I agree with Gaurav's point. I think the space is is over-earning. Um, you look at the margins of all of them and, and you sort of, I think because they've been stealing so much market share from the incumbents, they haven't had to turn on each other yet. Mm. But I think at some point that comes where, you know, your, your, your natural growth from just stealing, you know, stealing that market share slows down. Where else can you get growth from? You sort of have to, you have to then, uh, fight yourselves and, and that's where margin compression comes in um, I, I agree I would still hold it though like I, I have mm. been impressed I, I must admit like I said I, I've sort of been a little bit skeptical of Hub but but they've won me over I thought that result the other day was pretty good um, you know I, 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 when I saw underlying this and, and you know uh, excluding that I sort of my red flag alert came up but I went through that and, and they were all genuine there was nothing you know nothing in there that I wouldn't have been happy to exclude myself and I thought it was just a good fundamental result from Hub now you're paying 70 times earnings for that that's one of the one of the real issues so mm. that's why i say hold um i would definitely prefer net wealth if you are looking to buy yep. um, but yeah kudos to kudos to hub management all right double hold all right let's summarize where we've been for the second half of the show we began with sidev there uh gorov saying bad numbers terrible margins and avoid uh luke would be selling it also just off the back of a poor result macquarie telecom uh, look, Gaurav owns this one. He loves it perhaps as much as Lavisa. Dare we say it? It's a buy <laughs> and a hold if you are holding it, obviously. Outstanding business, he says. Uh, Luke also has a buy on it. Max7 Technologies. Uh, Gaurav saying it looks expensive, but he does have a hold on it. Uh, Luke saying it's pretty lumpy, uh, those numbers there. Uh, plenty of cash, though. Steep valuation. He's got a hold on it. American Rare Earths. Uh, it tells you all you need to know about what they're doing. Um, it's, uh, well, both sort of saying it's not yet a mine, really. Gorev's got an avoid on it, so still lots of work to do for American rare earths. And finally there, Hub24 in terms of wealth management. Look, both impressed with the business, but in fact, if you're going to pick them, both choosing net wealth over Hub24, nonetheless, both have a hold on that stock. All right. That is our show for today. Gaurav, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. That was fascinating, particularly what you had to say <laughs> about G8. And Luke, always great to get your comments as well. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you, guys. I'll get down to the studio next time. Nice. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Now, of course, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email at thecall at ausbiz.com.au or you could tweet us at ausbiztv. And a reminder where to find the stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.